When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Welcome to the summer series of the Autism Helper Podcast. So this summer on the podcast and in our newsletter, we are going to go through the seven steps for classroom setup. Now, if you are a new teacher or new to special ed, these are going to be so helpful for you. But if you are a veteran teacher, these are also going to be so helpful for you. The needs of your students change every single year. Even if you have the exact same eight students that you had last year, their needs are different this coming school year, which means your classroom setup should change every year. The setup of your classroom should be based on the needs of your students. So every year and throughout the year, you should be constantly thinking about how the way your classroom is set up is reflecting those needs. I think the summer is a great time to kind of refresh and think about the coming school year. And don't worry, I've got it set up in a in a fun way for the summer. So on the podcast, we're going to be doing nice, short and sweet episodes. I'm going to take about two to three episodes on each of the seven steps that I will share in a minute. We will also be doing classroom setup in our newsletter. So if you are signed up for our newsletter every two weeks, you'll be getting a newsletter filled with links and downloads and all kinds of information on each of the seven steps. So if you're not on the newsletter, I highly suggest you sign up because the podcast is great to listen to all the ideas, but you also want to see some of it in action as well. And we've got a, a lot of great free resources in the newsletter. The link to sign up, sign up is in the show notes. 
All right, so classroom setup. What are the seven steps? We're going to go through each of these throughout the summer in, as I said, these nice, short, and sweet episodes. So seven steps for setting up your classroom. Number one, organization and planning. Two, classroom structure. Three, schedules. Four, visuals. Five, data. Six, work tasks and IP goals. And seven, communication. So each step we're going to focus on for about two to three episodes of the podcast this summer, depending on how big that step is. I've got a lot of great quick ideas to share and really a lot of kind of reflection questions for you to start to think about. I want you to use these episodes as really like a brainstorming session. Don't feel like you have to go put everything into action now. It's the summer, but start to brainstorm, maybe take some notes. Actually, I think a great idea would be to keep a note going in the notes app of your phone, classroom setup, and just when you're listening, jot down a few ideas, things that pop in your head. And man, when you get to back to school season, you're going to have this whole list of ideas ready to go. I mean, how cool is that? All right. The first episode in our summer series, 15 questions to ask yourself before setting up your classroom. So I'm going to go through 15 questions that I want you to start to brainstorm on. These are in no particular order, but these questions to me have big implications in how you physically set up your room, how you structure your schedule, all of that. So in this step one, organization and planning, these are 15 things we want to consider. Number one. Where are your kids going to stand or wait while they transition out of your classroom? So think about this. When your students have to leave your room, which they're going to have to do many times in a day, going to lunch, going to the bathroom, going to specials, where are they going to wait? And if that space where they are waiting, if it's nearby other materials or student desks or things like that, that could potentially be a problem because when we're standing and waiting, we engage in off-task behaviors, right? We all do, you and I. And we touch stuff, we fidget, we grab things, we play with things. That's what we do. So you wanna think about what items are nearby the transition waiting space because you want that area to be clear of things that could cause a problem. I mean, think about it. When you go to TJ Maxx or you go to Marshalls or Home Goods, think about where you wait in line. These stores are excellent at this. They have these huge long shelves all along where you wait in line that are just filled with crap absolute crap, candle, kitchen towels, loofahs, but suddenly you're touching that stuff and maybe you're buying that stuff. And suddenly by the time you get to the cashier, you have three more items that you've added to your cart because you realize, oh my God, I do need another fake succulent. Yes, I'm going to put that in my cart right now, right? You engaged in off-task behavior while you were bored and waiting in line. So your kids are going to do the same thing. So think about where that transition waiting space is. I love having markers on the floor. I think that's really great or even just a masking tape line of exactly where to, to stand and wait. If you teach the babies, if you teach preschool or early childhood, maybe you want to put a bench or some chairs there because trying to get a bunch of three-year-olds to wait in line is like herding kittens. Like you get two of them in and then you go to get the other and the first one's gone. So maybe sitting and waiting is more your speed. All right, number two, similar here. Where are you storing your schedules? Later this summer, we're going to talk a lot about schedules and your kids are going to be checking their schedules many times throughout the day. Where are those schedules going? 
If they're on the wall, they need to be in an area that's clear of other academic work centers. If they're going to be in binders, I love having binders on a low shelf where students can open the binder, check the schedule, and close it. They don't have to pull it out of a shelf, open it up. That gets kind of, it's a lot of, a lot going on, right? So think about where your schedules are going. Number three, where are the plugs and the whiteboards in your classroom? I used to teach in an extremely old building, and I think there were like three or four plugs in the whole classroom. I probably had like a major fire hazard with all of my extension cords. But think about that. If you're going to have a tech center, you want to have that near plugs, right? And you want maybe your group area, your morning meeting, your circle time, your direct instruction to be by a dry erase board or a smart board, anything like that. So consider what kind of structures are already in place. Number four, question to consider, do you have runners in your classroom? Students that are incoming into your classroom that either you've already had or you know from other, from other classrooms or other teachers, kids that run, kids that are going to engage in elopement. If kids are eloping, our goal is to keep them in the class because once they are out of the room, all bets are off, right? You're, you're chasing them. You have to. You need to keep them safe. And oh my gosh, you guys, running is just like the best behavior ever because adults look ridiculous when they are chasing after students, right? When you are chasing a student in the hall, you do not think about how you look. You're just like, oh my God, I gotta get this kid, right? And kids are like living their best life, turning around laughing, huge smile on their face. Like this is the best thing ever. And a different conversation for a different episode. Obviously, we're doing our function-based interventions. We're going to look at why the behavior is happening, teach replacement behaviors, all that good stuff. But in the meantime, we want to keep our kids safe and in the classroom. So if you have a runner, you are not going to block the door. You are not going to physically block them in at all. But you want your classroom to be a maze because even just the three seconds it takes to run around a table or under a table as opposed to that straight shot to the door can give you the three seconds to keep them in the room. So you really want to think about where those students are working, that their schedules maybe aren't right next to the door, that wherever their work center is, is farther away from the door and there isn't a direct shot to the door at any time. On similar lines here, number five, do you have students that are aggressive? And if you do, Will you use your play area or your break area as a safe space? So if you have students that uh, can engage in aggressive behavior and you need to utilize a safe space in your area, or in your classroom, are you going to have a separate area that's a safe space or are you going to utilize your break area, your playtime area as a safe space? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 
So if you have a separate safe space area where students can go to de-escalate, that's great. But sometimes we don't have enough space for that in the classroom. So maybe you want to use your play area or your break area as that option for when a student needs to calm down. If you are going to do that, you really want to consider how you're setting that area up. Maybe you don't want to store toys or other manipulatives or items that students might use during a recreation or leisure break in that area because that could become a safety risk. I have to tell you, I've gotten an Etch-a-Sketch in the head like in a bad way and you only have to learn that lesson once to be like, oh, we're not going to store the Etch-a-Sketch in there anymore. So maybe those areas are stored, those items are stored in a shelf outside the break area. When kids are having a break time, they can bring things in, but it doesn't live there. It lives outside the break area. So if a student is having a hard time, they can use that area and be safe. Number six, where are you storing supplies? Pencils, markers, glue sticks. Do you have a central area that students can go to collect supplies? Will, will there be caddies at every desk or every table? That's something logistically to consider. There's lots of pros and cons and depends on the needs of your kids. If you have kids that walk by an empty, a big thing of crayons and just dump it, then maybe you don't want that central storage area. Maybe you want little caddies or supply storage at every center. But if you don't have kids that are going to dump or get into things, I do like having this like supply hub because it teaches kids to problem solve. If we're doing a craft, if we're doing an activity, you have to go get what you need, put it away. It teaches a lot of those great skills. Number seven, where are you storing your academic resources? When you are a self-contained life skills, functional skills, resource room teacher, whatever the title of your room is, if you teach that type of classroom, you likely are teaching multiple grade levels and not just the grade levels on the IEP, like way more than that. Maybe you teach second through fourth grade, but you're really teaching pre-K through fifth grade because some of your students are working on more foundational level skills and some students are really advanced in certain areas. When you have to teach that many different skill sets, you need a lot of stuff like a lot of stuff. And if you feel overwhelmed like by that, don't worry. You will get there. Take your time. But when you have all that stuff, you got to figure out where it's going. If you don't have a nice supply closet or storage closet, I would highly recommend getting huge big Tupperware bins and storing the things that you are not using right now in there. Take pictures of what's in there. Put it on the top so you know what's in there. You're not remaking stuff that you already made. But put things that you aren't using right now out of the way so it doesn't become overwhelming. Number eight, if you are cooking in the classroom, where is your kitchen equipment going? If you are doing cooking in your room and you maybe have a mini fridge or a small microwave, where are those things going that they are distracting, that they aren't in the way, but that they're also near where you're going to do your cooking lessons, right? You don't want it way across the room from where you do your cooking lessons because you don't want like one of your kids walking through your class with a plate of nachos being like, look what I just did and everyone's going to be all jealous, right? If you teach a center-based classroom, people might have different turns on when they do cooking. So make sure the cooking equipment is near where you're going to be doing cooking. Number nine, which centers are going to be near each other? So in a center-based classroom where you do small group instruction, you're likely going to have different centers, whether that's direct instruction, fluency, guided reading, group work, independent work, etc. Now, I taught with a really amazing preschool teacher who set up her class this way, and I thought this was really brilliant. She organized her class based on how loud 
the centers were. She put more of the quiet, academic-based centers in one area of the class, and then in the other area of the class, she put the louder, more play-based centers. So in a preschool class, this was things like maybe the block center and the sensory table and dramatic play. Those were in one side of the class. And then in the other side of the class, she had her teacher timetable and library and maybe a worksheet activity area. So those were more of the quiet centers. So there was a clear kind of zone in the room where you could be loud and be more engaged with your peers. And then there was another zone of the room where the expectation was that you were quieter. So I thought that was really cool. So think about what centers will be near each other and will those conflict? Number 11, will you have student desks? Now, I'm going to get into a little controversial topics here with these next two. If your students are not sitting at their desks regularly, like if you have a center-based classroom and students rotate between centers, you may not need individual student desks. If you use the student desks, great, keep them. But if you're not using them, get rid of them. There's no rule that says each student has to have their own dedicated desk. Now, same thing with number 13. Are you going to have a teacher desk? This really ruffles feathers. You don't need a teacher's desk. When I was about maybe in my sixth or seventh year teaching, I got rid of my teacher desk purely for space. I didn't have enough space. And I realized that my teacher desk became an area where it just, paperwork went to die. I just threw paperwork on top and on top and on top. And when I didn't have a teacher desk, I actually used the organization systems that I created better. I would put IEPs back in the folder and I'd put worksheets back in the master's you know, binder and things like that. Also, if you don't have a teacher's desk, you have that extra space, but you also can store all of your materials near where you're doing your teaching, near your maybe teacher timetable, direct instruction, whatever that is, you can keep all your materials there. So you're not bouncing between a desk and your kind of work area. Oh man, I got my numbers confused. Okay, number 10 was, are you having student desks? Number 11 is, are you having a teacher desk? Number 12, where are students storing their personal items? If you don't have lockers or cubbies or maybe old school like a coat room, you want a dedicated space for students to store their backpacks and their coats and things. If not, kids are like pulling out their bag of Doritos in the middle of a lesson. And along a similar lines, number 13, where are teachers and your staff storing their personal items? You want to have, first of all, a safe space for your paraprofessionals and your team to keep their purses, their jackets. You don't want you know kids going in there, things like that. If you have consistent issues with staff being maybe on their cell phones, things like that, you can ask staff to keep their cell phone in their purse, in a closet or a drawer. That can kind of help avoid issues like that as well. Number 14, what are you using as dividers in your classroom? Start to assess what furniture you have. We will talk more about this in step two, classroom structure. You can divide up your class with desks, with dividers, with file cabinets, all kinds of good stuff. And last, number 15... Where is technology being stored and how are technology items being charged? So if you have AAC devices, if you have iPads, if you have Chromebooks, where are those being charged? Where are they being stored? If maybe you have a cart that locks, that's great. But if you don't, where are you storing things so they're safe but also being charged? All right, so that was 15 questions to get that brainstorming session started for your classroom. Again, this summer, we are going to go through the seven steps for classroom setup on the podcast. Next week, we are going to do another episode on step one, organization and planning. Each week, we will continue to target these seven steps, and you are going to be so prepared when you head back to the classroom. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper Podcast. 
If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.